Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Eugenio Derbez grew up in Mexico City and began acting at 12 years old. He didn't see real progress in his acting career until he was 27, appearing in Mexican television shows and films like Anibal and La Misma Luna. After gaining fame in Mexico, he moved to the United States and his career took off after his film Instructions Not Included had major success. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Eugenio Derbez reflects on his experience crossing over from the Mexican entertainment industry to America's, the origin of his name, and his new film, Coda. Hey, Eugenio. Carlos! <laughs> How are you? Fine. Hello, my friend. Uh, hello right back to you. Where are you today? I'm in L.A. Not right now. I'm in my house, in my home. Okay, okay. And, and you, you live in L.A., yes? Yeah, I moved to L.A. seven years ago. and uh, But yeah, I, I, now I live in L.A. All my life I lived in Mexico City, and I just moved here seven years ago. Um, and, and how do you like L.A.? Is it home, or is it still just a place you are for now? No, 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 it's home already. I mean, um, I, I, I think I have this... Uh, Capacity to adapt really quick, <laughs> and uh, and I love it. Honestly, uh, it's perfect. It, we have a lot of uh, uh, Latinos here, so I don't feel alone. Uh, all, all the, you know, I'm friends with the, the ballet parkings, cooks, gardeners. <laughs> you gotta- Everyone speaks Spanish here, so I feel like I'm home. I love that. And and have you ever thought about living in LA before? This was the first time you you really did it. Uh, this is the first time I, I, I started trying to, to pursuing the American dream, like since 2003 and I was like always in and out. Uh, I came here for, you know, like for a, sometimes three days, sometimes a week, but no more than that. Uh, well, no, no, I, I came here to shoot a, a series in 2011. I, I was here like for five months. But then I went back to Mexico. Uh, but this is the first time I'm living here, living, living here. This is the first time in, ever. And then and what's it like, given that Mexico is so close? Do you get to go back home very much? Or do you really feel like you're now in a new place and you don't get back, you know, very often? Well, um, I feel that it's home right now. But that I, I need to tell you the story. Uh, but uh, Yeah, please, please. Well. Let me tell you, when I was, um, I, I, I was born and raised in Mexico City. I did my entire career there. So um, imagine, and, and I was on the top of my career. Imagine Adam Sandler one day saying, guys, I'm going to China because there, there's a lot of people there and I want to conquer that market. So uh, I'm leaving and I'm going to start acting in Chinese. <laughs> okay. That's what ca- happened with me. I was in the top of my career. I had my own TV shows. Um, the, the rating were amazing. 
everything was well, but all of a sudden I did a, a movie called Instruction Not Included that became the highest grossing language, Spanish language film ever worldwide. And that's when I had to make a decision and, and I took a leap of faith and I came here to this country and starting, uh, I started my, my, my career here in the U.S. And I, I shut down my office, my life. I left everything behind and I came here to this country. So, um, but what was your question? I always, I'm lost, sorry. No, 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 keep going because I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Why did you decide to leave everything? Just because that film did well? Or had you always wanted to come and you always were kind of looking with an eye on Hollywood and saying, maybe I should try that next? Since I was a kid, when I was probably eight years old, I was always with my mom watching the Oscars every single year. And of course, going to the movie theaters to watch all these Hollywood movies. And I fell in love with cinema since I was a kid. And, and I told my mom once, I remember we were watching the Oscars and I was like, mom, I want to do that. I, I want to be a storyteller. I, I want to tell stories and, and be an actor and, and, and go to Hollywood. And my mom was like, okay, I got it, but it's really hard. It's, and it's not easy. And I was like, I know, but I want to go there. So when I was like a teenager, I started preparing to be an, an actor and, and to come to Hollywood. But then, you know, life changed my uh, dreams and I ended up working in Mexico. I, be, I became a dad and I forgot about my dreams. And when my mom dies, and I was already 42 years old, my mom uh, passed away when I was 42. And next week after she passed away, I received a call from an agent. He was interested in, in talk to me about coming to the U.S. and do a crossover. I think it was my mom who moved all these things from up there. And then I said, of course, I had a dream when I was eight years old. Where's my dream? So I decided to pursue my dream, even though I was, it was late already. And uh, I started taking classes and I started coming to the U.S. That's why my English is so bad, because I started learning English late in my life. But um. So I started little by little, but nothing happened. Nothing really happened. I did small things here and there. And when I finally quit and I said no more, because I did a movie with Adam Sandler called Jack and Jill. Uh, I did a TV series with Rob Schneider called Rob on CBS. I did a Broadway play. Uh, and after that, and uh, after seeing that nothing happened, I said, I already tried everything. I'm happy, but I'm going to quit. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to invest more of my life and my time. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to my country and keep working on what I do. I came back. I went back to Mexico, and I directed a movie called Instructional Included that changed my entire world and my life. And it, it was a movie that was made in Mexico, written in Mexico, shot in Mexico. And all of a sudden, that movie opened the doors, finally, of Hollywood. And from one day to another, it was a Friday when it opened. And by Monday, I received a call from Jimmy Fallon, Larry King, my agents. Everyone was like, your movie did amazing. It broke all the records. So I had to make a decision. And I said, let's do it. So I moved to the U.S. with my family. I shut down everything. And here I am. Wow. 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 <laughs> Starting all but, over but, again. But, but, but it's so funny the way you describe that and the way that that life played out for you in, in that way. Um, Eugenio, what was it like going from big star? Because I assume when you're in Mexico, everybody stopped you all the time. Everyone knew you everywhere you went. Uh, they, they People passed out. They get excited. They rush you, etc. When you came to L.A., I assume it was more anonymous. It was more quiet. It was more tranquil were you okay with that difference or did that did that disturb your soul a little bit it disturbed my soul a little bit honestly but that was good because i i i, I felt i grew up uh, a lot because i as just as you said in my country it was like uh, i can't walk around in my country because uh, people it's always 
you know, they, they recognize me. They know who I am. I, I actually, I, every time I was coming to the, uh, to the U.S., to Los Angeles, you know, I was with my whole entourage. I get to the airport. Everyone like, Mr. Derbez, please, you know, uh, uh, bodyguards, uh, don't, you know, go away. You know, you know the, all the, the, the entire thing. I arrived to the U.S., to Los Angeles, just by myself with my piece of luggage, and nobody cared. <laughs> so, and I went to the, you know, to these meetings with producers, and I was like, yeah, who are you? I was like, um, Eugenio Derbez. I, can you spell it for me? I, I, I don't know how to write that. Okay, <laughs> I spelled my name. <laughs> nobody knew my name. Nobody knew my face. And it was funny because when I arrived to the studios, the ballet parkings were crazy. Like, oh, Eugenio, how are you? I'm going to park your car in front of the studio. So my car, even though it was, <laughs> I don't know, whatever I rented, it was in front of the door. You no, know? and, and everyone was like, who's this guy? <laughs> but the producers didn't know who I was. I was always trying to sell myself. Like, you know, I'm very famous. I have an audience. And nobody believed me until the movie came out. Anyway, it was funny because I was living between these two worlds. And I realized that it grounded me. It, it, it puts my feet in the ground because I realized that it's not that I'm a, a, a better person or just because I'm famous. I'm as anyone else. It's just that I'm um, just a trendy in one country and absolutely no one in another one. So I learned that. I learned that uh, I'm basically a human being as anybody else. It's just that I'm famous in one part and not in the other one. But it was shocking how did you get your name why are you named eugenio uh because my dad was named eugenio <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, nice okay okay but uh it's a kind of a it's a common name in spanish for uh, uh for a woman eugenia is very common eugenio it's not that common but uh everyone knows the name but here in the u.s is an issue i know it i, I actually just because i have a career already built if not, I would have changed my name for something else, but because I know it's really hard for Americans to pronounce my name. So, but yeah, but it's because uh, I was named after my dad. Hey, what would you change your name to if you were uh, doing the old Hollywood thing and you had to have a new name? What would your new name be? Uh, oh, uh, well, first of all, I realized that it was an, every time I go to a Starbucks, you know, for, or any place where you're like, what's your name? I tried like many times, like Eugenio, I was like, what? So now I just say John, Sam. <laughs> you, I, then I, I tried Eugene, but I, somebody told me that Eugene, uh, it's like an old fashioned name or like yep. it's not, yep. it's not yes. cool. Yeah. So uh, I'm just like Gene or uh, Jim. I don't know. I, I've been trying to, um, to change my name for something that sounds like Eugenio or Gene or something, but uh, I don't know. I, but I accept any suggestions. Yeah, we, I, I, I think I for some reason I have you down as a I could see you as a Charlie. I think if I were going like, to rename like, you, like, like you, yeah, yeah, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Charlie, exactly. Best. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And it, and it, I could I could I could see someone. I think I would if this were Holly, the old Hollywood, I would rename you Charlie Deeds. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, actually, yeah. you know it. In Mexico, people call me more by my last name than by my first name. So it's it's weird. In Mexico, they call me Derbez. They, in the street, people are like, Derbez. So they don't really use my first name. I don't know why. And people from my family and friends, they call me Eugene in English for some reason. Eugene, actually, they say Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> And then here in the U.S., they're trying to pronounce my first name that nobody does in Mexico. And it's weird because they're like always like having trouble pronouncing it. So it, it's I, I should change it. So probably probably one day. I don't know. Still think about it. Eugenio, what was your mom like? Because she was an actress as well. Right. You come from a family of of, of talented artists. My mom was the soap opera queen the queen of telenovelas in, in Mexico and Latin America. She made the first soap opera in Latin America. And, uh, and yeah, she, she was a, I remember my mom, she, when, 
when I was a kid, I was always with my mom on set. Every time I had a, a day off, I, I accompanied her to the set and I was always trying to get, you know, be like, as an extra anywhere because I love that world. So um, I don't know, probably if my mom um, would have been a, an accountant or anything, I don't know if I would have ended acting, but, uh, but that's why I'm an actor. I'm an actor because my mom was a, a soap opera actress. And what was she like? Was she was she loud? Was she quiet? Was she very flamboyant? Was she very subtle? What what was she like? She was kind of uh, quiet. She was known because she could cry so easily. That uh, uh, there was also a legend that said that my mom was able to cry with right eye or left eye, depending where the camera was. <laughs> nice, nice. nice. <laughs> but she was so good at, at, at crying. And, and she was always complaining. Like, what, like She was always telling me, I'm a happy person. I love to laugh. And I have to cry all day long. So when I, she was at home, she was like, I don't want to talk about anything sad. I just want to laugh. And she was always telling jokes. She was a very happy person. But she was like, she, she was not loud. She was not the loud Latina that usually all Latinos were loud. No, she was like very calm down. And I, Carlos, I was extremely shy. Extremely. You can't imagine. I was this kind of kid that was always in a corner, just observing, not talking. I was like that all my life. So when my mom knew and learned that I was a, that I wanted to become a comedian, she was like, how come you are you are like a like a mouse in a corner like a you know like I, I she was really um surprised by the fact that I was able to do comedy and and perform uh, characters and everything and, and so how did you make it what what happened what was did you have a breakthrough moment or how did you how did you break through well i wanted always to be an actor because i i saw my mom acting all the time and I think that because I was shy, I was always observing. And you know that it's a very, uh, the, the best uh, thing that an actor can do is to observe. So I was like, always like observing since I was a kid, always in the corner. When I was a teenager, I was always in the parties in the corner, just observing. I was very calm down, quiet, shy. But I was, I didn't know that, but I was like, just like absorbing all this information and putting my head, and one day, well, first of all, I, I was trying to to be a, a, a serious, a dramatic actor. I never thought about being a comedian ever, and I tried to be a telenovela actor as my mom. But for many, many years, I tried, and nothing happened. It was until I was twenty-seven years old when uh, they offered me a, a small part in a comedy, and I felt like a fish in the water. So I was like, what is this? And everyone like, oh, you're good. And I discovered that I was able to make people laugh until I was 27 years old. And it was like a whole new world to me. And that's when I realized that I, I, I was funny. Not, not before that. Until I was 27, I realized that I could be a funny guy. You know, what a wonderful thing to, when you said a fish in water, because very few times in people's lives do they feel that. Um, and I've, I've heard people who are athletes feel that at certain times. Often when they kind of progressed, they had not always felt on top of it. And all of a sudden, all these years come together and they all of a sudden feel like that. And I've, um, uh, I recently had a fashion designer talk about that where he finally felt that he was in his element, and he didn't realize that he was not just a good designer, but good on TV. And so I really uh, like hearing that. Um, Eugenio, talk to me a little bit about what happens when a shy kid, a mouse in the corner, trying to make it, famous mom, finally at 27, becomes, starts to realize he's good and becomes a star. What happens to you in terms of your popularity? Is it strange all of a sudden when the shy kid becomes derbez, derbez, derbez everywhere? Or is that what you were always hoping for and you're like, thank God this is finally here? Well, what was it like for you when you finally became recognized on the street, a household name, people were truly excited about you, you were getting the good roles? 
it it was something that I always wanted, and it was not. It, it was ki- kind of familiar to me because of my mom. Because of her, I was born in a home where uh, actually my, my and at school the, the other kids were always asking me, "How does it feel that your mom is on TV?" And I was like, "I feel like same that you feel when you see your mom in the kitchen." Uh, I was born like that, so I don't feel surprised by seeing my mom in the TV because that's that's my life. Since I was born, I, I knew that my mom was on TV. And every time we went out, people were asking her for autographs and pictures. So in a certain way, fame or being famous was not um, strange to me. Uh, and I was always, when I'm... I was always trying to be like my mom, and I thought it it was never going to happen because I started acting since I was 12. So by the time I was 25, 26, I was like, this is not going to happen ever. And uh, it was because I was always trying to do drama. And one day when I was 27 and I switched to comedy that I didn't know I was able to make people laugh, Everything changed. That day, I started seeing results, people uh, looking for me. They invited me more to to comedy shows. And and it was little by little because I remember that I I was in that show that uh, I finally discovered me as a comedian. People were like, oh, you are the guy from the TV show, but they didn't know my name. They were like, oh, Henry, were like, oh, you are the... The, the guy from the show. And I was like the guy from the TV show, from the comedy show. Probably five years later, I, they started to learning my name. So it was little by little, but it was a certain way familiar to me because, I, I would, I, because of my mom. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
talk to me about your last name, Derbez. Where's your family from originally? Uh, originally from France. From uh, uh, actually, my name, my last name, Derbez, comes from comes from uh, a small place in France called Saint Bernardet, Saint Bernardet, in the French Alps. Uh, and that place, if you go to that place, you're going to see my last name everywhere in the stores and uh, every kind of businesses. And the family comes from there, from this small town in, in, in France. And so what does that mean? Because I know that people like um, uh, 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 Carlos Slim uh, and Selma Hayek, I think their families may come from Lebanon originally or other parts. And so I'm always um, maybe... Surprise! I don't know what other word, but but in some ways that there, Mexico is very um, uh, is a melting pot in some ways that that people have come from different parts of the world, and that it shows up sometimes in the last names or in other other ways. Um, uh, was there a meaningful French population in in Mexico, or having a name like Derbez, did you stand out in any way, or kids just thought, nope, Eugenio, one of us? No. I think uh, it's not a common name, and um, even though it's not a, it's not a, a melting pot like the U.S. In the U.S., you can find people from everywhere. In Mexico, unfortunately, but I think because I think it's a good thing, but unfortunately, it, we're just probably a few small communities, a small French community, or a small Chinese community, or whatever. But we're mostly Mexicans. Probably a hundred years ago. Uh, when uh, people from other, from Europe, especially, were coming to to try to make it in America, uh, it was more like a melting pot. But nowadays, uh, there's people like you said, like Carlos Slim or like Salma or like me, that previous generations came from Europe, but we are 100% Mexicans, and our, our fathers were born in Mexico. Uh, probably our grandfathers were from came from Europe, but basically the last names are um, different, but there are just a few. There, you can find a few, few, few Derbeses, a few Slims or a few Hayeks. The rest are Gonzalez, Martinez, Hernandez, and tons of, <laughs> of those last names. Yeah. And how is, and I realize this is a big, ambiguous question. I realize no one's got a perfect answer for it, but for many um, uh, folks in the U.S. who haven't spent real time in Mexico and so only hear about it on TV or read about it online. How is Mexico doing today? Well, of course, if you watch the news, uh, they have to talk about something. Uh, and they talk, of course, about, you know, crime, violence, uh, drugs, uh, the narco, but Mexico is more than that, way more than that. Of course, there's violence. Of course, there's everything I said before, but it's not that bad. I mean, you can go there, you can travel, you can uh, have a, a great time if you go on vacation. Because all this crime that you see, mostly of it is between cartels. It's not that they're seeking for people in the street. So it's between them. So all this shootings or violence that you hear about is between them. So, but Mexico is a beautiful country. The, the best beaches in the world are in Mexico. The, the, we, we have still a lot of places that are like virgin. Uh, the food is amazing. It's so natural. You can feel it in your, when you're trying any Mexican food. So it's not that bad. It's not in good shape. I have to accept it, uh, but it's not as bad as you see in the news. Interesting. Yeah, I, I started going to Mexico City somewhat regularly a few years ago. I haven't been during COVID, but I really I was taken by how creative it felt, how cutting edge it felt, how stylish it felt. In in many cases, um, there felt like there was a entrepreneurial energy. Uh, uh, that I bumped into a number of times. Even when you go to a coffee shop, the coffee shops were more stylish than the American coffee shops, I thought. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just that the city, it, it's weird. And I always question myself, why when you are in San Diego and you cross the border to Tijuana, there's a huge difference 
between San Diego and Tijuana. It's crazy. Why? We are like neighbors like this. But if you go to Mexico City, it looks more like a big city like San Diego. It should be like the opposite. Tijuana should be like Mexico City and Mexico City should be like Tijuana. <laughs> but uh, Mexico City is more like a big city, it's like a small San Diego kind of. But uh, with, with, with this Mexican taste and, um, and we are very creative, as you just said, because we wouldn't have the same economy as the U.S. So we have to, I always say that when I'm, we're talking about movies, they tell me why um, Mexican cinematographers are, 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 are good, like Alfonso Cuaron or like Iñárritu, Guillermo del Toro, or, and many more. And it's because we don't have th those big budgets and you have to get creative. When you don't have money to produce a film, you have to get creative. And that's what happens with all Mexicans. That, that's so interesting when you say that. That makes me think about where else we should be looking for creative artists and other sorts of places that may have limited resources and exactly. therefore may have to, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and creativity. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. If you go to any place in Mexico, we know that there's, there's a, a world outside full of technology, but because we don't have, we can't afford it. And you, you, you can imagine how creative are Mexicans uh, when they try to imitate other things from the from expensive stuff from the world. They they become really creative in their businesses, in their gadgets, whatever. It's 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 very. They are very smart, honestly. Hey, Eugenio, did you know that this new film Coda was going to be a hit when you first read the script? Like, did you really know at that moment, or did you? Where were you? What did you think the first time you came across that script? Honestly, Carlos, I knew it from the first day because... <laughs> honestly, honestly. Honestly, honestly. I, I, I knew that it was going to be an amazing film. You never know. Some, because sometimes a good, good film, uh, nothing happens with it. And you say, like, how come? It's such a beautiful film and nothing happened. Well, happens. But... In this case, I knew that it was going to be a great film. I didn't know it was going to win awards, as much awards as it won in, at Sundance Film Festival. It, it won. It's the first time in the Sundance Film Festival history that a film wins all these awards all together. The, the, the best ju uh, the jury award, so it won the festival. The audience award, uh, best directing, best ensemble. And also, it has it broke the record of the best um, selling film in the history of Sundance, something like that. So it won a lot of prizes. And and what is so special about this film? I, I've watched the trailer a little bit. I haven't had a chance to watch the whole film. But but for you, what is the magic in this film, Coda? Well, it's it talks about something different. First of all. It's a movie that it will touch your heart no matter what. It's entertaining. It's fun. It's irreverent. I love irreverent movies, you know, and this movie is irreverent. Uh, uh, but it, it's also touching. It's real. It's new. It's, I think nobody has talked about this, about a deaf family, about how they struggle to to succeed in, 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 in this world. And, and CODA, you know, CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adults. And it's also the, the passage in music, it's a passage that ends, um, it ends the passage in music. So, and this girl, this is the story of a 70 year old uh, teenager uh, that it's the only hearing child in a deaf family. And she's the only link with the hearing world. And one day she, 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 she needs to decide between, she's torn between following her dreams and pursuing her dreams or staying forever with her family to translate everything. Because she, she needs to be with her father and her brother fishing at 4 a.m., and then she has to go with her mom to the supermarket. She has to be with them all the time, translating. And she's like, I, I, I need to get my own life. 
And so it's very interesting. It's very touching. It's completely different, but I love it. It's irreverent. There's a scene that I love where the the parents they have like a um, venereal disease, <laughs> 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 and they need to go to the doctor. So you have this seventy year old in the middle translating between the doctor and their parents all these uncomfortable questions about sex <laughs> and she's like in the middle like hearing all this thing that she doesn't want to hear and translating to the doctor so it's so irreverent so funny touching it has everything carlos really it has everything i i, I love the way you describe it and i love i love what you said about it it's fresh and it's something we don't normally talk about and at the same time uh it's got a uh, you called it an irreverence and i i tend to think when things are irreverent or a little different, what have you, that, that, that I, for some reason I use food words. I say they're delicious. I say they're a little tasty. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and I like it uh, when things are a little flavorful, a little unexpected. Um, uh, what would you love to do, Eugenio? I mean, if, if you could chart the next decade in the way that would bring you joy and bring you happiness, what would you love to be true over the next 10 years for yourself? Well, I would like, I'm known for being a comedian and I've always made people laugh, but lately I've discovered that I want to start making more films like Coda. I think Coda for me is life changing because, um, well, Coda and also the movie that I changed my life, Instruction Not Included. I hope you can watch it one day um, because they, I, I feel that if you watch those films, something changed in your inside. And that's the kind of things that I, I want to do from now on. I usually do commercial comedies and commercial films. But now, lately, I've been questioning myself if I want to continue doing this my entire life. And I think that I would like to work probably less and focus more on in this kind of films that not only entertains, but also teaches you something, touches your heart. You walk out of the theater with something new here inside and here. And that's what I want to do from now on my career. I, I so love hearing you say that. And it's so funny that you said that, Eugenio, because I was going to ask you, even though you said that at 27, comedy became your ticket, I see you moving into a different kind of, uh, of performance and storytelling here. And Maybe that's also a season in your life, maybe as well, uh, or maybe it's a chance to come back to some of the things that you explored earlier. It's, I, I, I thank thank you for bringing that to the table. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm like trying to uh, evolve and go more to, to to drama, and I've noticed that this is something very common between comedians. You know, Tom Hanks started as a comedian. Robin Williams started as a comedian jim carrey started as a comedian uh, 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 you know all these people that uh, uh, sasha baron cohen all the comedians in certain point in their lives they want to switch to drama and i feel that it's because comedy is so complicated carlos so hard it needs to be performed in a certain way it's very precise uh, depends on many, many things. It's not easy to pay, to make people laugh. You're always risking a lot. You're always in this very thin line where you can be disrespectful uh, or get into trouble or not. It's, it's, it's so complicated. And at the same time, it's undervalued. I, I don't know if I'm using the right terms, but... Uh, you will never see a comedy winning an Oscar. You will never see a comedy that is respected. Uh, I mean, barely, barely, but usually comedies are like, ah, it's a comedy. Ah. So you will never be recognized as a good actor if you're doing comedy. And it's so much work, so much work, that probably, because that, that's what I feel, comedians in certain ways, like we're like fed up of being, oh, oh, there's the funny guy. Because this, that's what they say to me in the streets. Uh, oh, you're the funny guy. You're the guy who makes the faces. 
you're the guy who make crazy, wear crazy wigs. And you feel like they're not understanding your value. And there's one day where you say, well, I would like to do drama. So probably they can, I can start being taken seriously. I think that's why we all comedians change in certain point to drama because you feel more recognized. That's why. It's so interesting to hear you say that. It makes sense. I had an interesting conversation with Malcolm Gladwell, the author. I don't know if you know his work very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was talking about the way in which we judge universities. And he said that we judge them incorrectly and that some of the universities who are doing the best and most important work, uh, he described as some of the so-called historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs. And he said, if we actually were to do a blind test and really say, who is doing the most work at advancing their students, taking them from here and then moving them the, the furthest forward with the least amount of resources, you would say, oh, this is a way more valuable institution than Princeton or Berkeley or what have you. And so if you really did the rankings, you would actually value that higher. And so it is, it, it's made me start to think about how, you know, what our metric systems are for lots of things. And this is one more thing. As you're saying, comedy is so difficult. I was talking to Steve Harvey, who you probably know, who was telling me something very similar, how magical it is to be able to make people laugh in stand-up. He said, Carlos, if you were going to succeed in stand-up, you have to be able for an hour and a half to make people laugh every 45 seconds, and you have to keep going. And he said, there are only four or five people in the U.S. who can do that today. And he said, it's, it's underappreciated as well. So I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I'm intrigued to hear that. And it makes me think um, about some of the, because um, I think I'm guilty of it too. When people ask me what are my favorite films, several of them involve comedies, but I don't necessarily immediately put them in the same category that I put dramas, but now I will. Because of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, people will like, what are you talking about? I don't know. If you say, uh, what's your favorite movie? And you say, something about Mary. Immediately, people will like, eh, no, come on. I mean, we're talking about movies. Uh, tell me. I know. Uh, I know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the Godfather. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but uh, it, it's not fair. Because there's a lot of work behind something about Mary. You know? Uh, probably as much as uh, the Godfather, but in a different place so it's a little bit unfair i think but uh it, it, that's what it is so but it's good to to talk about it <laughs> hi there i'm bob pittman chairman and ceo of iHeartMedia. media welcome to math and magic stories from the frontiers of marketing this week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen 
a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Eugenio, can I uh, finish up here by doing a little rapid fire with you? Do you mind if I hit you with five or six quick questions and get your reaction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about about my English, but I'll do my best. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Eugenio, what is the most beautiful place in the world you've ever been? Tulum, Mexico, and Glacier National Park in Montana. Oh, c'est bon, c'est bon. I like both of those. Very beautiful place. Are you a hotel person or are you an Airbnb person? (laughs) Airbnb. Love that too. I love that too. Very nice, very nice, very nice. (laughs) Eugenio, if you could meet and have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would you love to have dinner with? Jesus Christ. Oh, I like that. I was born Catholic. And then I started, uh, I'm not a a religion person anymore. So that's why I would like to talk to him because of that. Because I I, I think that uh, humans changed all this concept that he had. So I would like to talk directly to him without the church in the middle. <laughs> I, I, love, I love the way you say it. I love the way you say that. You know what I mean? I do. I do. And I appreciate what, you, what you're saying. Um, Eugenio, what's the most interesting thing you've learned about parenting in this life? I don't know why. There's school and universities. So you can be an architect, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever. But there's not a single school that teach you how to be a parent. And this is the most important thing in the world because there's a lot of crime, violence, uh, wars, because there was parents that didn't know how to raise their children. Like probably Hitler's, Hitler's parents or any, I, I can mention any, any. There's a lot of kids that were not raised properly. So I think that Mainly, they should be schools for parents. It should be mandatory. So, yeah, about parenthood, I, I feel that there should be schools to teach you how to be a parent. I, I've been trying to, do, to be the best parent ever, and I couldn't. I, I failed a lot with my three kids. I have a, a new a six-year-old, and I'm like starting all over again. I think I'm doing way better. But it was not my fault. I didn't know a lot of stuff. So there should be schools for parents. That's what I would say about parenting. I love that and agree. Finally, what's your karaoke song, Eugenio? When you and I go sing karaoke one day, what will you sing? Oh, my God. My entire family, family makes fun of me because I, I love Barry Manilow. Copacabana. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wait. Let me hear a little bit of it. Let me hear a little bit of it, Eugenio. Copacabana, <laughs> the, hardest. the hottest place north of Atlanta. At the Copa, Copacabana. I'm a good singer, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, Eugenio, I so appreciate you, my friend. And um, my uh, my best friend's mother um, uh, loves you. Is a big fan of yours, Angelina Segura. Could oh. I ask you? to look into the camera and to say to Angelina Segura, hello. If you would say hello to her, I would appreciate that. My dear Angelina Segura, te mando un beso. Qué bueno que eres mi fan. And I'm going to tell you something else. Angelina, ¿por qué no eres una niña normal? <laughs> That's one of my uh, catchphrases from one of my TV shows, and she will uh, for sure know what I'm talking about. 
Ah, pues ya. Besos, Angelina. Hey, um, um, Eugenio, I so enjoyed you, and I hope one of these days, my friend, that I can come and say hello to you properly. I would love to shake your hand and say hello to you in person. Me too, Carlos, me too. Hopefully one day we can meet in person, finally. I look forward to that. Be safe, and congratulations again on Coda. I will not only be watching, but I'll be rooting for you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carlos. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Take care, my friend. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.